for these next two episodes on contracts, I ask you to bear with me because and there are a couple of things that I feel like I didn't fully understand, but I'm going to go over them anyways because it'll help me understand it even more, even if I'm not 100% accurate at the moment. So we talked about electronic and layered contracts, and there are several types of layered contracts. Now, layered contract is just meaning a contract is not entered to when the plate when it's initially agreed upon but later it's accepted and there are ways that this can be done either through shrink wrap click wrap or browse wrap so shrink wrap occurs when you have products that you agree to the terms when you open the box and then you don't return the product within a certain time so say for example you purchase a computer it comes in a box I'm sure you didn't even know that there were terms in that box, but there are terms in that box. And well, when you start to use the computer and you fail to return the computer within a certain time, you just agreed to those terms and that shrink wrap. Click wrap is clicking on the button at the bottom of a screen saying, I agree or submit to the terms and conditions of using this website. Then browse wrap is made available on websites telling visitors that by visiting the website they're agreeing to those specific terms we have a couple of examples of cases that use these things so defontes versus dell incorporated what happened here is that dell had this arbitration term in one of their ship, uh, shrink wraps, a shrink wrap agreement. We have problems with shrink wrap agreements to say the least. Uh, let's just say that there are two potential issues, not two potential issues. Let's just say that there are two potential ways that these agreements can be made. First, where the purchaser or the consumer is the offerer and the seller is the offeree. So here, the agreement would be made at the point of sell because as the consumer, you're offering to purchase their thing. And so anyways, the agreement would be made at the point of sell and any of the terms are gonna be agreed on at that moment. The pro of this is that the terms are set at the point of purchase and you don't need to worry about them anymore. The con is that how do you actually know what the terms are? Because parties need to agree on the terms. You can't expect a Dell consumer, well, a Dell representative to call you and tell you all the terms. And it's unreasonable. It would be way over the top. But there is this second option and this is accepted as the current use is that the seller is the offerer and the purchaser is the offeree. So this is actually backwards of what most things are. Typically, the seller is putting forth an invitation to enter negotiations, but here, and they are actually making the offer criticisms of this method is that there's no explanation why the courts actually go with this rule but the result is that the terms are not set 
at the point of sale, but are instead set at the point when the purchaser agrees to the terms, and this is underneath like 2207 of the UCC, because th we're working in goods, we're in the UCC, and this is like under 2207, so merchant consumer. Under most circumstances, if those terms were to be set, sent, the consumer would have to agree to it. But since there's no contract until after it's returned, well then, the consumer only agrees to it when they fail to return the product. There is an issue here. Well, the pro is that you have this return policy. The con is that there's no definite understanding of when the contract was formed. And this creates a lot of issues because what's stopping the consumer from just keeping the computer and saying, ha, 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 we have no contract because according to Dell, no contract is um, actually created at that point. So the consumer could say, I now have the computer, but I don't have this contract. And Dell's saying, well, you're not returning it, so that's a contract. Anyways, there's, there's this whole conflict because of when a contract is actually formed due to this. So there's issues with both of these, but it's currently common practice and accepted that if you are shipped a product, you, your failure to return the product is an acceptance to the terms of use of that product. Okay, we have a second case where we have Long versus Provide Commerce Inc. What happened here is that Provide Commerce Inc. sells flowers on their website. The question here of this case is actually going to be whether or not there is a manifestation of assent, meaning did they actually agree to a term? And the principle that we're focusing on is whether the terms were conspicuous enough, or rather, if they were not conspicuous, to have put him on notice that the terms are there, and if he has enough notice, then there is assent. But if there's not enough notice, there is no assent. So the lack of conspicuousness resolves part of this issue, meaning if you have... If you put terms in agreement close by, this is a browse wrap, browse wrap, I should say, before getting into anything further. So this is a, I don't have to click on anything. It's by making this purchase, I agree to the terms and conditions as linked here. But in flowers, it was at the bottom of the page. So you have to scroll to go find it. In flowers, it was sent in a confirmation email, but it was, you had to scroll to go find it. And then it was also sent at the time of the confirmation, but you had to scroll to go find it. So it was not placed in a part where it was easy to see. It was in a font that you couldn't really tell. And so it was not sufficient notice of the terms and conditions in the contract. This was another one where it was an arbitration clause that was in dispute. So, proxim proximity is important. However, that's not the only thing that the court says. There also is supposed to be language that gives the purchaser notice of the terms and that they are subject 
to those terms if they accept that. So that means it should say by agreeing to this order, you are subject to these terms and conditions. And then you have that hyperlink and it should be like right underneath the subject, well, the submit order button. With that said, that was the last of our midterm material. And we have one more episode uh, today focusing on the liability and the absence of a bargain for exchange. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.